0: Welcome to Oralphonic, a podcast about podfic. Today's topic is about recording setups, and your hosts, are Padika
1: and Tana Novita. Hi!
0: Hi! This is going to be, I think, an interesting topic. I think I have probably one of the most extreme so uh, recording <laughs> setups, and people should not be intimidated. Like, I recognize that I'm extreme, so feel free to go less. <laughs> but I don't know what your recording setup is. So I look forward to hearing about that later in the episode.
1: Not as cool as yours.
0: (laughs) But before we jump in, let's do some news.
1: As we are recording this today, it is September 24th for us, and ITPE signups are opening right now, which maybe just in case there's a listener that doesn't know what ITPE is, it's like a secret Santa thing where you get assigned somebody and you make them a podfic for a holiday present. And it is awesome. Or just like a, generic non-holiday winter yeah. celebration. It is, present.
0: it is very deliberately not holiday mm-hmm. that happens to deliver on December 25th.
1: So if you go to at ITPE underscore mod on Twitter, they will have tweeted all the rules.
0: ITPE actually stands for informal Twitter podfic exchange. It has no minimum. So like it can be a really low bar of entry for people if you're not sure, like, if it's your first time podficking or you're... This is a great place to just go and do something smaller
1: if you want. Okay, they did just tweet that they're handing out assignments on October 8th. The deadline for committing to ITP for this year is October 1st. So you don't have a lot of time. You know, probably sign up as soon as you listen to this if you haven't already.
0: The next item of news is... Podfication's next month. I am so excited. So chilly. Yeah, it would be nice if you could come, but I hope a lot of other people come. Like I I mean, I've seen the list of the people that have signed up so far and I'm excited to see everyone. Um for those that are unaware, Podfication is a Podfic con that happens in Minneapolis. It's going to be a lot of fun. They actually just posted the uh, schedule in which panels will be happening. It's a weekend of squeeing about Podfix, so how can it not be fun? If you're going to be there, I will also be there. Please feel free to come up and say hi. I would love to meet everyone, except sometimes I am really shy and afraid to meet new people, so feel free to overcome that jump for me. <laughs>
1: para really nice though just come up and say hi she's friendly she does not bite i don't
0: <laughs> it's funny cuz i think cuz i'm such a well known name in podfic fandom if only because like i host so many people that my name's on a lot of podfic posts that I think sometimes people are intimidated by me, and I'm just like, but you're a pod figure. That's immediately, like, one of the coolest things you could be, and I'm so intimidated by them. That if it wasn't for the fact that when I went last year, I had already met a number of the attendees one-on-one before vacation, I probably would have spent the entire time being, like, a giant wallflower. <laughs> so, and actually, I'm really excited this year. They're putting in place a buddy system. So if you are new or you don't know very many people that are going, you could sign up and ask to have a buddy and someone who, who knows more people who's been before, who's more comfortable around the various pod figures that'll be there. They like sign up to be your buddy and make sure that you're happy and included in everything for the whole weekend, which I think is a great, great feature. I love that they're doing that.
1: That's a really awesome idea.
0: Right? I remember the first time I went to VividCon, which is a great con, but it's a smaller con and there were a lot of people there that had gone like every year or that they were all like really close friends and it was just really intimidating my first time and I spent a lot of time being a wallflower. And then by the end of the weekend, I realized like everyone's super nice. If I just go up and like add myself to a conversation, everyone will welcome me with open arms. Like they're totally there for that. But there's just something that's kind of scary about doing that. So I like that pod is like giving you this option to have someone pull you in so you don't have to like get over your social anxiety on your own.
1: <laughs> Do we want to move on to talkbacks? We're going to play this
2: talkback from Momo. Thanks, Momo. So from an author's and a Podfic listener's point of view, I think that when you ask someone if you may record their work, it's nice to make sure that the author knows that it's okay for them to say no. Not just on the grounds of them not wanting any podfic of their work, maybe. But also that it's okay for them to say no if, for example, they don't like your voice. And I realize that this is an unpopular opinion in podfic fandom. And I generally support that everyone should be allowed to podfic what they like. But speaking... For strictly myself here, as an author who would like to have podfick of her own work, especially the longer ones, for the sole purpose of being able to listen to my own stories, I don't enjoy all voices. I don't like listening to all podficker voices. Some voices are just in a range that I don't enjoy, or the podficker might have a, a reading style that's not really appealing to me. Don't worry, I'm not going to name any names because that would be unfair. And, you know, I still respect these people for the work they put into the podficker. And I really want them to keep going for everyone who enjoys listening to them. It's just that I personally don't enjoy listening to every person who does podficker. And this is also the reason why I don't have a blanket permission for potficking my writings. Because if something of mine gets potficked, which would excite me to no end, I want to be able to listen to it. And that would not be guaranteed if I didn't have a say in who gets to potfick it. I realize that this might mean that my works never get potficked. But, well, I just have to live with that. So, coming back to my original point, when talking to an author to request being allowed to potfick their work, it's nice to give the author the reassurance that it's okay for them to say no for their own reasons. It's also a good idea to include a sample of something you've recorded before, something you're really confident and maybe just so you know they don't have to go looking for it themselves and i
1: think that's a really valid point they made that you know we want to make sure authors feel comfortable with saying no to us when we ask for permission because we you know fandom is supposed to be our relaxing fun place and it's nice to try to get along
0: i mean my personal thing is i tend not to do that on first contact i'll just be like hey i really liked your thing how do you feel about Podfic? Mm-hmm. Um, because I like kind of a more informal thing but mm-hmm. if I'm gonna do a follow-up ask that's generally when I'm like hey I haven't heard from you it's totally okay if you don't want to give permission but it'd be really great to hear back from you which I feel is like a good middle
1: ground yeah um, yeah
0: I don't know if there's many people that because I didn't offer that to them from the start said yes because they felt obligated to but hmm The other part of that, like, obviously authors have permission to say no and they don't have to explain why they're saying no, but, like, specifically wanting people to feel okay, they just don't like a podficker's voice. I mean, if that were why an author was saying no to me, I probably wouldn't want to know why. Yeah. Not even because, like, that can be really rough to hear that someone doesn't like your voice, which is such a physical part of your body. That it it feels a lot more personal than being like, I don't like the cover art that you made or this thing that you wrote, because it, that's not your physical body on the line, the way your voice is with podfic. But that would be such a dissatisfying reason for me because when I podfic, when I make a podfic, it's not for the author. Yeah. It is for me. It is for the people that enjoy podfics made by me. And in this world where repotting is a thing, Mm -hmm. I feel like just because you don't like my voice doesn't mean that someone whose voice you do like might not come around and ask to do it anyway. I mean, I know there is somewhat of a chilling effect that if there's one done before, someone might be like, oh, well, that's one thing off my list to do. I'll move on to the next five that are waiting. I don't know. Like... It's great mm-hmm. that she wants to be a fan of the podfic that's created, and I always welcome when an author is a fan of the podfic I created, but they're not my primary audience. So being told that they aren't going to let me do it because they wouldn't be part of the primary audience would be really dissatisfying to me beyond the like, oh, you're also making a comment on my physical body. And I don't think Momo would tell someone that's why they're not letting Mm -hmm. them. Like, they would probably just say, like, no. But I would probably be confused, too, if, like, I asked and got a no. And then, like, a month later, someone else asked to do the same thing and got a yes. Yeah. That's on pod figures. Like, that shouldn't be on the author. But that's still, like, we're... We're small enough, close enough community that I would probably sit there wondering, like, oh my God, did I offend the author at some point? Like, do they hate me and I don't realize it? I don't know. I mm-hmm. would just feel really weird about it.
1: Well, and they mentioned in the talk back, like sending in a, a voice sample and a, an audition for the Podfic. And I'm not doing that because, like you said, I don't record Podfic for the author. Yeah, you know, I record it because it's fun for me, and because I hope maybe one or two other people out there will, will like listening to it. But if the author doesn't like my voice, that's that's okay. They don't have to listen to it. I still would like to podfic it though.
0: <laughs> you know, I have a dear author letter that's saved in like my journal profile, but I've basically stopped linking to it when I ask for permission but i used to link to it all the time and in there was a thing of like here's all of my podfic if you want to go listen to it i also kind of feel like most places that i ask like if i leave a comment on ao3 and you're like oh let's check out their previous work there's a link right there click my ao3 profile it's just podfic other people have podfic and written work but presumably it's not that much more effort to go and filter by it if I go and ask someone on LiveJournal, they can then click my LiveJournal profile or my DreamWidth profile or whatever, and it'll take you to the sticky where I say, here's where all my podfics are. If I email someone, my email is Patica Productions, which is also my website that has all of my podfic on it. So like, it is an extra step. And if someone's, I-, I guess I kind of feel like if that's going to be the thing that makes someone say no, I don't know. I'm not gonna like necessarily bend over backwards each time just in case. hmm I totally respect Momo not wanting to give BP, but on the other hand, like it probably is gonna prevent them from getting the podfic made of their works. I don't know, like that's just a choice that everyone has to make.
1: Yeah, I have I asked for permission once this year for a podfic, and it was somebody I knew who was podfic friendly. And everywhere else, I just go down the AO3 search results and I click on the author's name and say, does this person have BP? Does this person have BP? And yeah.
0: Anyway, do we want to move on to the next? Sure. So Momo gave two different talkbacks, but we'll break the second one down into different parts because it was responding to different episodes. So here's what they have to say about episode 20.
2: You were talking about character tags on Archive of Our Own and how works would be tagged with character tags and pairing tags and how often you will have a super minor pairing tagged even though the pairing only appears in the background and only briefly and then that gets frustrating for people who are looking for stories for that pairing. I mean, this is not directly relevant for PodFig, just for posting on AO3. As far as I know, and I've... (laughs) I've read about this on Tumblr, so you know, probably do some research, but I think it was actually legit information. The character tags were supposed to be used for Genfic, or if these characters are featured in the story, but not in the main pairing or main pairings. And the relationship tags were just meant to be for, well, the main relationship or relationships in the story. And then For example, coming back to my forever love of Merlin fandom, if you have a story that is a Merlin-slash-Arthur love story, you would tag for the pairing Merlin-slash-Arthur. And if there was also a small background pairing, like, for example, Gwen and Lancelot, you would tag for the characters Gwen and Lancelot, but not the pairing Gwen-slash-Lancelot, because that would just be misleading but of course users will use tags differently from how they were intended to be used that's just how it is because some people will not think about how tagging is supposed to work or they just genuinely do not know any better and of course there's no way to police this and it probably shouldn't be policed it's just something to keep in mind and maybe if we keep telling people about it then it will eventually catch on.
1: You know, and this is something I think about. I don't, when I post a podfic on AO3, always copy the author's tags exactly. Mostly because, number one, I do tag for podfics. I've already got the podfic tag, the podfic and podfic works tag, the audio format MP3, audio format N4B, audio link. Like, I already have a ton of tags myself. And then if the author has, like, 20 more, I that just gets to be too much. So I do cut down tags a lot. And so I wonder of what people feel about that. Like, do you feel when you post on AO3, you always have to copy the original author's tags exactly?
0: I, for the most part, will. Sometimes if they have like Tumblr style talkie tags, I'll just be like, no, that's not me and skip mm-hmm. them. Like, and yeah. also sometimes those talkie tags are in first person. So it's like, I just wrote this overnight. Like, that'd be weird for me to say that when I'm not the one that mm-hmm. wrote it. But actually, I'm probably the opposite. If anything, I'm going to add more tags. I do that too. Probably the one that I do it the most on, there's the Don't Look Too Closely, All Angles Are Oblique series that I'm podficking. And it's, it's Steve and Tony negotiating a kinky relationship. And I will go and add like whatever kinks were featured in that specific part. I will go and add it to the entry. Partially just because I know like from experience as someone who's podficked a couple different Kinky things that tagging by kink can really get your numbers up. Like, people will yeah. be like, you know, I'm just really into like cock slapping. And they'll go and search the <laughs> cock slapping tag. And then they see your Podfic and they'll check it out in ways that wouldn't have necessarily gone looking for my Podfic. They just really like the kink that's advertised in it.
1: I've also. On occasions, bumped the rating up, like they've labeled something teen, but then there's genital touching, and I'm like, eh, no, I'm going to go ahead and bump this up to mature, just to be safe." I definitely have added more warnings before, or I can think of one podfic where there, like it, the rest of the podfic was fine, but there was one word in it that was like, "I don't know about that," and so I just kind of skipped that word in the recording. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Possibly that's something you should talk to the author about because they might feel really strongly about that word placing, but generally I'm just like, I'm not going to do it. So I don't talk to the author, I just do it, Mm. (laughs) which, oops. Like, I mean, I also just, I'm not the most precise reader. So there's a lot of times where I'll kind of like change a little words when I'm recording that don't change the meaning of the sentence, but just makes it sound more natural coming out of my mouth. So mm-hmm. I do all of those by accidents and, and just decide to keep it. I don't feel too bad about changing a word on purpose just because it's the better thing to do.
1: Mama did mention, like, do you tag minor background ships in your podfic? So there's, I can see cases either way. I generally do. But what about you? I do.
0: As someone who has some fairly strong no-TPs, a lot of the time, I, I feel it's better to have more information than less. Yeah. And really, the thing about tagging major characters or major pairings versus minor characters or pairings, like regardless of what the original intent of AO3 was, that's not how people use it today. And I think if we're going to make a change in how it's used today they're going to have to spell it out Mm -hmm. and like change the fields. I mean, I kind of feel the way that you could do this is having like two different pairing fields where one's for major pairings and one's for minor pairings. I
1: wish they would. Yeah. Same with characters.
0: I mean, I got a lot of pushback when I said on an episode, I think that episode that I find character tags useless because there were a number of people that came forward to being like, Oh my God, I use it all the time. Like, the majority of the time when I go to use a character tag, it's like, this minor character that doesn't get a lot of love, I want to go read stuff about them. And inevitably, mm-hmm. it's fix where it's about other people, and they just are there, or have like mm-hmm. a scene. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's not two fields, if there was a way to like, indicate when you're tagging it, if it was a major or minor pairing or character, so that when people mm-hmm. search, they had the option of saying like, show me everything with this character or just show me the things where that character's a main. Yeah. I think the solution is going to be technological, not user-based because, well, one, AO3 doesn't do much to control their user base and how they use the archive. And I don't disagree with their reasons for doing that, but saying like, oh, it was intended to be this is functionally useless.
1: As far as like tagging for minor ships or background ships. I do, because I I kind of fall with you. It's better that somebody doesn't get surprised by a ship in the background that really squicks them out and upsets them. than people be disappointed because they thought it was a major ship. And it turns out it's only in the background in two scenes, which I've been there. I know that feeling sucks, but I'd rather do that than accidentally trigger somebody or something. So I, I do over tag to be careful. I also
0: feel like most people list pairings by most important, so they'll be like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: this is a Steve Tony, but like Steve Bucky in the past is there, but it's going to be like after the Steve Tony. And you can generally mm-hmm. tell a little bit from the other tags or by the summary, like Steve and Tony were made for each other as the summary, like you're going to realize that the other pairing was in the background or in the past or something mm-hmm. like that, whereas If it was just tagged Steve and Tony and you can't handle Steve Bucky, which might happen, there's nothing in the other tags necessarily or in the summary that would make it clear that Steve Bucky existed at some point in it. So
1: Yeah, I do use character tags, but I guess that's why we have the Jen button. So I know that if I just search for the character tag Uhura, I'm going to find her in the background of a lot of Kirk Spock stuff. But then if I search for or I can click the Jen button as well in that search. And then I'm only going to get stuff that it might not feature her as a major character front and center, but at least it's not going to be a ship I don't want. So I don't see any problem with tagging a character both in the shipping box and in the character box. Yeah. You know, if you don't want them in a ship, then just click Jen.
0: Although the other side of that could be like, I don't want Kirk Spock, but I wouldn't mind Hera Spock. But again, you can then just check Spock Ohura or put like, you can put negatives in that search mm-hmm. field on the filter, but I know I have to look it up each time how to do it properly.
1: Tagging characters is another situation where I might not copy over all the author's tags, because if they've tagged eight different characters, and it's really just the two that are in the ship and the others have one scene apiece, I might just leave them out of my tags.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, because I feel like informing for pairings is more important to me than informing for characters. You know, sometimes people just can't handle characters. And actually, I think it was Lavender Frost that was one of the first people to say like, no, I really use the character tag because they do a negative search on Patrick Kane now that Mm. all that stuff's Mm -hmm. happened. And they just don't want to read fic that ha- that features Patrick Kane. Maybe their sensitivity to it is like, Patrick Kane cannot be in the fic at all. But I think that's more of a rare situation.
1: But it's definitely an argument for, I guess, over-tagging in characters instead of under-tagging, just in case. Yeah, I find for my own preferences, I don't necessarily care so much how people tag, with the exception of Patrick Kane, but I don't read a lot of hockey these days anyways. But having more tags is really, really helpful for like ITPE and when you're trying to come up with gifts for somebody. Because I know Cantarina, I wanted to do a little something for her for ITPE last year and trying to find Uhura Vic was impossible because it was all background Kirk Spock. That's a case where having more specific tags for Uhura would have really helped me out with finding something for her.
0: So do we want to move on to Momo's talkback
2: about episode 24? But you were talking about character voices and how fans interpret characters' voices differently. You gave the example of Teen Wolf. Well, a character that is associated with a deeper voice, that character's actor actually has a higher voice than the other actor whose character is associated with a higher voice. So it's actually the reverse of how these actors speak. And I've noticed the same about Merlin. Colin Morgan has a deeper voice than Bradley James. And uh, Colin Morgan plays Merlin and Bradley James plays Arthur. And when I podfig these two, I will always give Arthur a deeper voice than Merlin, just because that's my association and also because colin morgan's voice gets higher when he loses his native irish accent so when he speaks in a english accent his voice gets higher than than it usually is
0: i mean we've talked about that before i i think my comment is mostly yep i agree
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And then a lot of times, like, I'm podficking for stuff where I haven't seen the canon at all. So, like, all the Teen Wolf podfic I've done, and recently I've done some Starsky and Hutch, I have no idea what those people sound like. <laughs> so I'm just going by the, the fanon and the clues the authors leave in. So who knows what my voices are like.
0: Yeah. So the last bit of the talk back was about episode 30, and Momo had this to say.
2: Um, Someone recommended the smart audiobook player as an app for Android users and they said that it only plays mp3, which is not true. The smart audiobook player also plays m4a and m4b format and I should know because I use this app and I use different file types depending on what's available. Also, as a last PS about the potfic commissions, we had this discussion on Twitter after I already sent in the talkback. and I realized that it's an icky question to do potfic commissions with the regards to how you then also have to pay the author for creating the work that you're potficking and all kinds of other stuff. And the thing is, when I posted the question to Life Journal and then to you and then again on Twitter, I hadn't even thought that far because the only thing I was thinking about commissioning a figure to record one of my stories. Like I wasn't even thinking of buying their time to record someone else's story or offering to record someone else's story for money. The only thing I was literally thinking about was how can I get this or that figure to record my fanfic and how much can I pay them to do it so there you go and actually I had been meaning to say the exact same thing that
0: Momo just did so thank you Momo because after uh, Kitsune Heart recommended the smart audiobook player I ended up downloading it on my phone and using it a lot but yeah I was using it almost exclusively for m4bs so it definitely plays more than
1: mp3s Momo also had something interesting to say in that talk back about uh, commissioning podfic. Yes. But how do you feel about commissioning a podficker to record somebody else's story for, for profit?
0: I think it was Akamine Chan had researching, it seemed like, running some sort of charity auction or something that involved fan works and money and was asking for what a good base rate would be for asking for podfic. And then it kind of took a discussion about like, yeah, commissions because Momo jumped in and was like, oh, I've been wondering about this. And a lot of us were kind of weird of like, I mean, I'm not an author. So if someone were willing to say like, I'll pay you 100 bucks to record this, it would feel weird for me to take that $100 and record something that someone else wrote.
1: Yeah. And I don't know, it's so weird in fandom, what we think it's okay to pay money for and what it's not okay to pay money for. So it's okay to pay money for fan art and a lot of merchandise, like somebody on DeviantArt or Tumblr, something can be selling t-shirts or pillows or phone cases, and that's fine, but not Podfic, And then there's this always a debate in the fic communities, you know, can you pay for fic or not? And so I, I wonder legally what the position is like is it all illegal in which case fan artists are about to get themselves in some legal trouble but they seem to be getting away with it okay you know at conventions they have giant artist halls where people sell unlicensed fan art for profit so if marvel is okay with people selling fan art then surely they would be okay with people selling fic and podfic, right my
0: understanding, which although I am not a lawyer and I'm not even American and most people when they're talking about this are talking specifically about American copyright laws, but from what I understand, fan art can be in some ways really weird because you're getting into trademark infringement. Um, so it largely isn't okay to do fan art if it's of pre-existing characters, but like You know, it's totally okay for you to go and draw an actor because they're a real person. And if the actor happens to be wearing the clothing that they would in the show that they're in, like, then it gets a little weird. Is it more permissible? In the case of something like drawing an anime character, that that is a, a trademarkable character. It can be a little bit more cut and dry. But the way that fan artists got away with it for a very long time is that often they would be selling, like very small numbers. Like, I went and hand-drew this, someone can buy my hand-drawing. And now we're getting to the point where it's easier to mass-produce the art that you create. But we've also hit a point where the powers that be have basically decided to not go after fans in general. So like, podfic and fanfic and whatever, the OTW will often talk about it as a transformative work and there's legal allowances for that. But the legal allowances often hinge on the not making a profit from it but I think there's been a huge influx of fans in the last however many years and like the fandom olds who have been discussing this for longer are vastly outnumbered which is not a bad thing it's just what it is and sometimes they know different details or they have more details and then it gets summed up as something like it's legal to write fanfic Which is the position that AO3 has, but it's not necessarily the same as it's legal to write and sell fanfic. Whereas like a lot of the people that were there for the times where, you know, most people acknowledged that it wasn't legal to write fanfic. It was a big thing when OTW came out and said, like, we think there's a strong legal case for saying that it is legal to write fanfic because of these exemptions in the US copyright laws. But now it's people have been accepting that argument for long enough, even though it's never been put to test in a court of law. So at this moment, it's still just an argument. It's not a provable law that a lot of people have just been like, oh, fanfics legal. And then they're like, well, then I'm going to sell it. Not necessarily realizing that some of the what makes it legal is that you're not making money off of it. But also we're at a place right now where the powers that be are like super encouraging this obsessive fan behavior on a mainstream level in the ways they weren't in the 90s or early 2000s when you were still getting cease and desist letters and getting fic archives pulled offline like the powers that be aren't gonna come after you most likely. And so people just do it, which I think if the powers that be were gonna come after anyone like tomorrow, it probably would be fan artists just because you see a lot of unauthorized merchandise that gets sold on various sites. Like there's a huge like t-shirt business where people just draw like fan art and sell that, or there's the huge markets of like buying the phone cases and the pillowcases like you mentioned and that could be money that Marvel might be like that's money we could be making on our official stuff so you can't sell it. But they haven't given any indication that they're going to do that. So I think it's kind of getting to the point where it's beyond legalities and just like what you can get away with.
1: Yeah, so like I said, I don't have any idea what the legal situation is, especially since we have people listeners from a bunch of different countries, so do not take this as legal advice for your country, but Maybe for me, it would depend on the fandom, where if it was an author like Anne Rice, who had said, don't write fics, she would definitely think Podfic was beyond the pale, I'm sure, if she ever commented on it, and was really protecting her intellectual property. Like, okay, I could see there being a case for not charging for Podfic in that fandom. But if it's something like Yuri on Ice, where a month ago, I was at, I was at Anime Fest, and the Yuri on Ice creators were there, and there was a giant art dealer's room that was selling a lot of Yuri on Ice merchandise and the Yuri on Ice creators said nothing and we were totally cool with it. Like if they're okay with people selling their merch, then why shouldn't I be able to sell yeah. Urian Ice PodFic?
0: And I mean, I think when it comes specifically to PodFic, it can then get into the weirdness of like, again, if you're using legality as your measuring stick, you're not allowed to sell an audiobook of copyrighted material without Having some sort of deal with the copyright owner. Mm-hmm. So you could get away with like recording Arthur Cannon Doyle's original Sherlock stuff because it's in public domain, but like I can't go and record Harry Potter and start selling it without having some sort of deal in place with J.K. Rowling. And Podfic is very comparable to that on a legal sense, like we might be able to probably argue the transformity of Podfic from the original canon source material, but it's definitely got a strong tie to the author that wrote the words that we're now recording. So I feel like if I were to get personally get paid to record something, I would want to compensate the author for it. The place that when we were having the discussion online that there was more wiggle room and they kind of mentioned it in last month's episode was when you're talking about patrons. Charity. Well, charity, but like if you're talking about like personally making money, it's kind of like having a Patreon mm-hmm. because then it's, I'm not paying you to record this specific story and make a podfic. It's I just want to encourage you to make podfic. And there was some discussion of, like, a lot of the time Patreon comes with, like, bonus rewards. So they were like, if you were making a podfic and only subscribers could listen to it, a lot of people were like, that doesn't feel right to me. But if it was something like, oh, you got to listen to extras from it, you got the blooper reel, or maybe you posted it as a work in progress and the final thing was public, but subscribers got to listen to the work in progress parts of it, that might be okay. But, I mean, it's kind of a whole new world when it comes to mixing money and fandom. And I don't think there are hard and fast rules that anyone's sticking to. It's kind of just go with it. And people Mm -hmm. are going to feel differently about it on a bunch of different levels.
1: Yeah, I guess, personally, my opinion is I'm totally fine with charging money for PodVic. But I'm not going to be the first test case. Like let five or 10 other pod pickers try it out and see how fandom reacts and see how those franchises and corporations react. And and then maybe I'll be the 11th.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, it often just comes down to not even a matter of risk. It's a matter of like, as someone who changed careers to go and do something for a living that I really enjoyed doing as a hobby... Once I started getting paid for it I started enjoying it way less. So if I suddenly and like I've done enough charity podfics where I like stress a ton about it part of the thing that lets me really love this is that it is casual that it isn't a job that I don't have to do things even when I hate it that I wouldn't want to necessarily bring money into that just because of the stresses that it might bring me. So How about we move on to the main topic? I think you should start. How did you start off and where did you finish and how did you get there?
1: Yeah, talk about my recording setup first so I don't have to embarrass myself by going after yours. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like I said, I don't think people should be modeling themselves after me. I'm kind of extreme.
1: (laughs) I have been lurking in fandom since 1997. And I had, you know, my fanfiction.net account and my LiveJournal account Never commented once, never said anything. I think I posted two anonymous fixed to a kink meme like 15 years ago, and that was about it. But then I started listening to Slash Report when I got my first iPhone and discovered podcasts. And then they hit this podfic episode. And I had just signed up for Twitter the other day and had nobody to follow. And so I was like, you know what? I can't write, but I bet I could podfic. And I gave it a try, and then I found you on Twitter and the Podfic account, and you were so nice, and you gave me advice on setting everything up. And so I recorded a a short little Star Trek ficlet I'd written. And then I recorded a little three-minute Bandom thing for you just to say thank you. And yes, then,
0: I, remember. I, I still listen to that one.
1: <laughs> oh, God. I don't even want to know what my sound quality is like because I had no idea what I was doing. But then through the PodFick account, I just got to know all the PodFickers and sucked into the community. And that was, what, 2012? So I'm about to hit my five-year anniversary. Ooh, yeah, I posted my very first pod pick on Halloween. So I, totally a coincidence. I wasn't even thinking about that at the time. So I have the coolest pod pic anniversary.
0: I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your sound setup like when you first started recording?
1: Just the interior mic on my MacBook. Okay. Yeah, and now I've switched and I bought the $100, the blue, I don't even remember now. Is it the blue Snowball or the blue Yeti? It's the, the one that stands up. So it's the Yeti, yes, right? Yes, the Yeti. Yes.
0: That's what I'm recording this podcast on right now.
1: Yeah, so I record on that and GarageBand. And I just record in our back office room. It's not necessarily the greatest space to record in, uh, because there is like a carpet on the floor. And there's a lot of books on the shelves, because that's where we store all our books to kind of break up the sound a little bit. But it is still pretty echoey. And I keep thinking I need to find a better place to record, but I've tried recording in my closet and it just gets so claustrophobic and so hot in there.
0: I've been opening the door to my recording room periodically as we record this because it's getting hot in my recording room. (laughs) So I totally understand.
1: Yeah. You know, if you're going to be recording for 10 minutes, it's okay. Wherever you are is fine. But if you're recording something for an hour and a half, you need to be able to stretch out and get comfortable and you just can't do that in a closet. (laughs) So I usually just set my computer and my snowball or Yeti on a low table in there and sit on the rug and record leaning up against the couch. And that gives me room to stretch my legs and move to a couple of different positions and get comfortable. So I know my sound isn't as good as it could be, but I did pay the, what was it? I paid for the desktop version of Auphonic.
0: Yeah, I did too. I totally love it.
1: Oh, I do too. How much was it? I don't even remember anymore. It's been a couple of years. To get a single
0: user license, it's either 69 euros or $89.
1: So I record in GarageBand, export as a .aiff file, and then put that through Alphonic and have Alphonic clean it up and bump the sound up to, I think I do minus 20 luffs. So it's a little bit louder. And then I put it back into GarageBand and GarageBand has a bunch of legacy filters that I use. Usually I use female radio noisy, but sometimes if the sound isn't good, I'll play around with a couple of the others and then do effects and stuff. An okay-ish sound. I have recorded one audiobook professionally. It's terrible. Don't listen to it. I've auditioned several other times and not been chosen. And I think a lot of it is. If I'm going to do it professionally, I'd need to actually get a good room to record in and...
0: Have you considered making, like, a a recording box? i You get, like, a milk crate-sized box type thing, and then you can put, like, a ton of sound dampening in that, and then you just have the mic sitting kind of in it, and you read into that box, and you don't have to convert, like, an entire room, but you get, like, a lot of the sound dampening, and it'll block out a lot of the ambient noise by just making, like, a box that your mic lives in.
1: I've thought about that, but I'm just fundamentally lazy. I guess. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. <laughs> Going to my actual setup, which let me again say, I'm not necessarily advocating my setup is extreme.
1: It's so cool, though. You should definitely, if you find yourself in a Padaka adjacent region of the earth, you should go check out her project setup.
0: <laughs> Possibly a little bit larger it would be my only suggestion because you can't really fit two people here unless you curl up on the floor. But I'm going to start with what I started off with, which was just me with a headset mic that didn't even have like an arm that went across my mouth. It was just like what you get with the headphones that you can plug into your iPhone that have like the little microphone thing halfway down one of the ear things. And I just sat on my bed and recorded using that. And at one point I bought like a super cheap mic that I could just attach, but it was so cheap that I was like, no, I can't use it. I don't think I ever recorded anything on it. Then at one point, I upgraded my mic to the Zoom H2 that I have, which is a really nice mic, although it's a pricier mic, as I shocked someone on Twitter. I think it was Black Glass the other day. It's definitely more expensive than the blue lines. I used to just sit on the living room couch and with the mic beside me and record, which was could be super frustrating because I live like really, really close to the airport and so there were constantly mm-hmm. planes flying by. I wouldn't even notice, but when I'm editing later, I'd, like, you'd start getting this mm-hmm. which is not too bad if it's, like, if you read the sentence well, but I read almost every word twice in all of my podfix, and there's a lot of Frankenstein-y things together or, like, cutting it apart. And so inevitably, you'd be like, yeah. which is really noticeable. Mm-hmm. That's when I was like, I need something better. And I looked around my house and I was like, I also don't want to sit on the floor of my closet. Where can I set something up that would be? And I wasn't really aware of the like boxes that people make. I made this like quite a few years ago and it just, I didn't do enough research, I guess. So what I ended up doing was looking around and being like, where could I build like an extra little room in my house? And the place that I could do it, that wouldn't like completely fuck up my resale value was in my basement. On my main level, there's like the entrance way to the house and then there's like two steps up and then you're on the main floor. So in the basement, there's the little bit where it's like got extra supports for that little bit of floor that's like down. And so I was like, I'm gonna turn that into a room. So if I stand in bare feet, I will just touch the ceiling. So it's about five feet, six inches tall. And then it had two walls already and I had to build two more, which was a fun and exciting project and research thing and lots of weird trips to Home Depot. And I was also looking into like what are the best sound dampening qualities because at the time my neighbor could be quite loud in the underground part and far enough away from a window that I never hear the planes, but I'm also like right by the freezer and the furnace and the the washing machine. (laughs) So I can't, you can't do the laundry and record at the same time. I will often turn off the furnace, although it's running right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it actually gets picked up. For a little while, I was actually unplugging the freezer, but I don't think it makes a big enough difference for me to risk destroying all the food in there. Yeah. So I built the walls and I put like sound dampening insulation in the walls and I bought drywall that was supposed to have a little bit of sound dampening when I built the walls. And then as I was doing research about sand dampening, one of the things that you hear is a really great sound dampener is cork. And cork is really fucking expensive. Mm. So when I was looking into putting cork on the walls, I was like, I can't afford that. But I found this like cork foam that people put under floors that's supposed to help with sound, and I covered the walls and ceiling with that. But because it's foam, it's kind of plasticky and it kind of had an echo. So what I ended up doing later is I bought one of those foam mattresses that you can get like if your bed's not comfortable enough and I cut it all up and it covers the walls in front of me and and on the ceiling and kind of at head level, it doesn't go all the way to the floor, but it covers most of the walls. And that was enough sound dampening and enough sound isolation. Like if someone calls the house, you can still hear it. Like the, you can hear the phone ringing. And unfortunately, if anyone comes or leaves that are like right on top of my head, so you can hear that. There's a number of times when I'm recording and I hear my roommates walking around the house. So I'll just wait until they stop moving. And then later I'll be editing and being like, why did I suddenly stop? Because it doesn't actually pick up, but it's kind of distracting to me when I read. But that is the current setup that I have. At the time I took pictures of me building it. And then when my server space started running out of space, I like deleted a bunch of pictures. And now I can't find the pictures because I actually promised Momo that I would send them the link to the pictures and they are not currently working but I'll try maybe do one more last search for them and if not I'll take new pictures and link to them in the show notes so that you guys can see. The biggest downside of it is the more soundproof you make something the more airproof it is. and mine is not like if you're looking at making actual like sound recording studios they need like a very complex air system so that you don't suffocate it's that tight mine is not that tight i can clearly breathe but sometimes i have to open the door because i think the carbon dioxide just kind of builds up and i'll start feeling a little lightheaded and it also means that it can get really warm It's often very cold because it's in my basement. So like when I come in, it's cold. But if I'm recording for any length of time, it gets fairly warm after that. Oh, the other thing that I didn't mention is most doors are hollow on the inside. I had to buy one that was solid because that will transfer less noise. And also Mm. because I needed to cut it because it's not like I bought a full size door. But like I said, the room is maybe five feet, six inches tops. Most doors are bigger than that. (laughs) So
1: yeah, that's my setup. Like I said, it's extreme. I'm with you. I don't turn off the freezer or anything like that. So even if you do hear ice being made by the ice maker in the background, oh, well, tough luck. I do turn off the AC though, which is fine if, even if I record for an hour and a half, it's generally okay, but I'm really, really bad about remembering to turn it back on afterwards. So three hours later, it's Texas and it's 105 degrees outside and I don't have the AC on and it's like, why am I sweating all of a sudden? Oh, I do that, but the
0: worst for me, being a Canadian, is when I turn the heat off, then like forget and go to bed, and we wake up and it's 13 degrees in the house, and everyone's like, we know we need to turn the heat on, but no one wants to leave their warm bed because it's so freaking cold in the house.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) I don't think I've ever left it off overnight. Oh, I definitely have. I've gotten pretty cold in the winter, too. I'm sure not your levels of cold, but I've forgotten to turn the heat back on occasionally. We suffer for our art.
0: And I mean, I tend not to turn it off when I'm recording the podcast, often too, just because there's so many voices that it kind of masks any noise on one side. And it's not that loud. Like, it's running right now. I don't know how much my mic is actually going to pick up on it. But when I'm recording Podfic, I'm far more likely to turn it off just because I tend to binge record, especially as I've started doing longer and longer projects that I might just spend like five hours recording. And I don't want to have like, oh, this part has the background and this part doesn't. So I just turn it off.
1: How does your voice hold out for five hours? I can do an hour and a half max there's
0: definitely times where my voice does not
1: hold out and you can tell
0: on the recording. It's also something I can't do anymore because, again, of my health problems. And it's really bumming me out because, like, I'm kind of like, can I even record podfic anymore? And it's like, yes, you can. but And that's probably the biggest downside to my more complex recording situation is, like, the mic that I record podfic on is my Zoom. And it's, has internal memory on it. So when I record, it's generally just me and my phone so that I don't have to worry about like computer fan noises in the room. That can really help make a difference. Because I'll do marathon sessions. I'll be like, okay, you've got to have, like, your water, you've got to have your tea, you've got to go around, turn everything off, you've got to do, like, some vocal warm-ups. And I tend to make it a pretty big production, which is why, like, when I sit down and record, I do it hardcore and, like, go a long time. Because I put a lot of prep work into it. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. before when I used to just record on my couch, I'd be like, oh, this is a cute, you know, 2,000-word story. And I'd whip out my mic and start recording it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now I don't do
1: that. <laughs> Yeah. Now that I'm recording this podcast, I didn't go and set up my nice blue snowball uh, Yeti. I don't know why I keep calling it a snowball. It's not a ball. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go to my special recording room. I'm just lying in bed with recording on the internal microphone on my laptop. For some reason, yeah, I don't hold podcasts to such stringent standards of audio quality as I do my Podfic.
0: And I mean, I kind of feel like since we're a podcast about podfic that we should be held to that higher quality standard. I know everyone was pretty upset about last month's episode because something just went wrong with the recording and no one could hear Fleur. And short of re-recording everything, there wasn't much we could do about it. I still want us to be kind of like higher than the average quality, but a podficker's good quality is a lot of other places great quality when you're talking podcast world. like Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of very professional podcast setups, but there's also people that are just like, I'm going to record this in my car as I'm driving home. (laughs) Like that's Mm -hmm. literally the podcast that one of my roommates listens to.
1: Yeah, I used to listen to a lot of hockey podcasts, and a lot of them would be, well, I'm on my way to the arena. Sorry about the traffic noise.
0: We, we have a good middle ground. Okay. And the other thing that I, I don't know a ton of other people's pod setups. I, like I said, I know I'm at the extreme end. 8 did this the one time that I recorded with her, where she printed off the fic and then started recording and moved her laptop outside of the room and then like kind of closed the door as much as she could so that we wouldn't pick up on fan noises. I know Rena Jenkins, every single one of her pod fics, pretty much, certainly most of the solo ones, were recorded with her lying on her stomach on her bed, reading the fic and recording over the inbuilt mic on her Mac. And she has a really high quality level of podfix. So, you know, you, you definitely don't need to build a separate room in your house like I did to get a good quality recording. There's a huge variety out there and it's just kind of like what you're able to do and what you have around you. Don't take my extremes and hold it up as the gold standard. That's like the worst idea.
1: (laughs) Well, was it Rena Jenkins that was also talking about how there are apps so you can edit audio on your phone now and just record and edit on your phone, which I haven't tried because that sounds like my worst nightmare. But if that really works for you and helps you produce more and get a sound you like, that's an option.
0: I know Rena does a lot of apps for cover art. I know that Dr. Fumbles McStupid was a big proponent about editing on your phone, okay. or on your iPad, or like your tablet.
1: Maybe I'm conflating them. Yeah,
0: Rena might. I'm not sure, but Dr. Fumbles did a lot, and I think she she was someone who was out there putting the information out in the early days before I think it was more common.
1: Probably my two worst sound quality experiences. One was for Podfic Bingo and I had to record in an unusual location. So I went outside to the park and it had just snowed and I was lying down in the snow and there was like an airplane flying overhead and there were kids playing and wind. And and it was also, I was using the tag of post without editing. So I just read a four minute fic, It terrible sound quality, didn't edit it at all, just stuck it up on the internet. And uh, who cares? It was fun. Mm-hmm. And I got to check two things off my Podfic bingo. The other was at the last time I went to Convergence two years ago, and we were recording on the floor and the hotel above the convention. But there were still people coming out of the elevator and going to their hotel rooms every 30 seconds. So every 30 seconds, the elevator was dinging and people would walk by and we'd have to be like, no, we're not recording porn in the hallway outside your room. <laughs> How did you think that? Unfortunately, that one is definitely one that's never going to see the light of day, because it featured Patrick Kane. And then just a couple of weeks later, he did the thing. So ah, yeah, yeah, but it probably didn't sound very good either. But it was a really fun memory.
0: Yeah, I've definitely done like random recordings with group people, and that can get a little dicier. Like, I've recorded things just in the living room of another pod figure's house with like her kids running around and stuff like that. So it can get that's one of the adventurous parts of Podfic, though, where like I love that about us, where it's just like, mm-hmm. let's do it. I know Loon 8 has done some like extreme Podfic locations, like on her doorstep while there's like a thunderstorm happening. <laughs> And I know Sh- Loon 8-8 and Revolutionary Joe did one, and I don't remember who read it and who was the driver, but it was like a Sherlock one that took place in the back of cabs. So someone drove around while the other person sat in the back recording it, mm-hmm. which is kind of amazing. You don't necessarily need an elaborate sound setup, and sometimes elaborate sound setups aren't even desired, where you're just like, let's go do something fun or off the wall or whatever. But there is resources out there and and they're like having a good microphone and having good sound dampening can make the editing part and producing higher quality audio easier as you go.
1: (laughs) Are we maybe ready to segue into Rex? Yeah, let's do that. Since we were speaking of, you know, unusual recording situations, one of the podfics I listened to this past week was the drunk version of Yuri on Air which was written by Opal Song and recorded by A-List Fictive, Lavender Frost, Opal Song, R.S. Crichton, and Seer. And they just got on Skype and several of them were drunk and they were reading this podfic. Uh, several of them had colds and were losing their voice and were like coughing into their microphone and their Skype noise. But it is hilarious. And they just crack up laughing. They're having so much fun. And the, the bloopers are great. And so you really are, you know, you feel like you're in the room there listening to your friends read you a story. And it was a really fun time. And it's a fandom AU of Yuri on Ice where Victor and Yuri are podfickers and they write in a fandom about ice skating. And and so they end up for uh, Podfic Big Bang agreeing to do a really long recording together. And then they fall in love. And Yuri's always secretly had a crush on Victor. And it's it's adorable. And it's a ton of fun. So there is also a non-drunk version, which is cool if you want to listen to that. But my favorite's the drunk version. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: my second rec was Pounded in the Butt by My Yuletide Tags by Annalise O'Ten, written by Glass Kites. And it is a uh, Chuck Tingle story where he writes a fic for Yuletide and his tags come to life and they have a wonderful evening together.
0: I mean, how can you hear that title and not know it's a Chuck Tingle if you know who (laughs) Chuck Tingle is?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, of course, Annalisa Tin's reading was amazing as always. And it was just really funny and cracktastical and a good time.
0: I'd be curious to know what a non cracktastic Chuck Tingle fix sounded like, or looked like. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I write the dark, tragic Chuck Tingle, <laughs> dark <laughs> AU. <laughs> and my... Third rec is Deck the Hulls with Love and Folly by RIA314, uh, written by SushiCore. And it is a Yuri on ice pod fic, AU, where Victor and all the Russian skaters go to Japan to just for a Christmas trip. And end up at a public ice skating meet there. And Victor sees Yuri and is immediately smitten. So he's pretending he doesn't know how to skate. So Yuri will have to, you know, give him lessons and touch him a lot. And they can flirt shamelessly. And everybody else is just rolling their eyes like, you just won the world championships. Why are you falling over all the time? I have a really strong secondhand embarrassment quick, so usually I don't like these kinds of stories where one character is lying to another and hiding from them uh, very much, but this one was just adorable. It was so cute. You know, Victor gets skating lessons from Yuri and falls into his arms a lot. And...
0: That sounds cute. Mm-hmm. So I have a couple wrecks. The first one is the Loaded March series, read by Echo Delta 9 and written by Footloose. The first two stories in this series are pod and I haven't spoken to Echo Delta 9 specifically, but they've given every indication that they're going to continue reading this fic series, which I think they deserve a gold medal just for, like, Willing to try. Like, if they succeed, they deserve like so much more than a gold medal. Because the Loaded March series is over one point two million words long. Whoa. I was introduced to the series by Echo Delta Nine's podfic, and I listened to the first one. And then I tried reading ahead to get the rest of it, and I failed out before I finished. Not because it's it's like it's a really well written story, don't get me wrong. I just have issues with reading things that long like 200k is generally a bit of a slog for me and 1.2 million is definitely more so like just for trying to attempt to do this echo delta 9 deserves all the love and like i keep wanting to be like can i help you in some way like can i help you edit or something like this is go you but like wow this is a lot of work But uh, anyways, they deserve a lot of credit, and the podfics are really fun. It's a Merlin fic, and it is a modern-day AU where magic is still a thing, but it's like some epic stuff of like trying to deal with the battle between the magical world and the non-magical world, and it starts off where they're all in the British army in the SAS, Merlin was the last person to join Arthur's unit, who's a captain. And the first story is Merlin earning a place in there because they're a well-oiled machine and they were just missing their calm back. And Merlin is that man, but it quickly escalates. Well, not quickly. It's a lot of words before it escalates, but it's pretty amazing. And there's still lots of magic because that's my favorite thing about Merlin is the magic. I like have listened to non-magic AUs and they're fun, but generally what I really want from Merlin is lots of magic. I actually really love canon era, non-AUs, which is actually what my next podfic rec is.
1: Quick question. So this Loaded March series, I see they've posted the first two stories. Uh, Does it end in a pretty satisfying way? So could I listen even if there's never any more of it and be satisfied or is it going to leave me hanging? The author is really bad for leaving you hanging at the end of each chapter
0: where it's like the story can meander and then all the action happens and then bam, it's the end of the fic and you're like, you don't even get the scene after where they're like, come down off of it. So you can, I know Momotastic actually is doing that. They are listening to it, but they're not reading ahead. I don't specifically remember. I don't think the first two are that cliffhanging at the end. It's more of an issue later on. So I think you'd probably be okay ending at the end of the first two. But at this point I've immersed myself. So the details are getting hazy. Mm, Cool. Thanks. Sorry. The next podcast that I have is In a Name by Talking to Myself again written by Starlight in Her Eyes 22 and it's kind of like it's like everything that I want from a Merlin story like I really love canon era stories I really love Merlin and Arthur are still together I like kind of the future from like season one perspective not necessarily from season five perspective because it's hard to do a future thing off that but where they're like working together and just dealing with the world around them And this one, it's a short little story where Arthur is off with some knights about to go hunt something down and Merlin's with them. And they end up in this magical area where it's like, you can't pass until you say your name. And it's not good enough to just say Arthur. You have to say like Arthur, King of Camelot. So when Merlin's just kind of like, I'm Merlin, they're like, nah you need to list all of your titles. And Merlin's like, I really can't (laughs) because no one knows he has magic. It's really fun. It's a little bit more of a slice of life and a magical reveal in this case, but I just really like those kind of slice of life ones. It really does well as a pod fic. Like at one point, when Merlin's finally letting everything out, he starts getting like, speaking almost in like his dragon voice that he gets as a dragon lord. And so they did some cool effects, but there was like this rumbling underneath. So talking to myself again, did a really good job. And the last one is not a Merlin wreck. It is uh, the Martian wreck. And it's for a, another series, Interstitial by Black Glass, written by Lana Michaels, which was one of the first The Martian things that I read and listened to later once the podfuck was around, because it's a really quality Martian story. And now that Mark's been saved, it's kind of like him reacclimatizing to no longer being stuck on Mars and dealing with all the things in and, and his unique Mark Watney way. Most of it is Jen. The last one in it ends up being Chris, Beth, Mark as a threesome. And there's like some hitting on Mark by Chris and Beth in the second one. It is really like just a really great story and does a fun job of dealing with the effects of like that whole clusterfuck that Mark lived through. So those are my
1: recs. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Thank you for listening and see you next month. Bye. Bye.